You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm coming to you tonight, as every night, from the sunny climes of western Japan. So thank you for tuning in for tonight's broadcast, and as I mentioned at the end of last night's broadcast, this is going to be a very interesting conversation indeed. Tonight we have on the line with us from California, Peter Kirby, an author and researcher who has written extensively about chemtrails and the various ways that they've been used for various different agendas. So we're going to be starting to explore that uh, that information tonight. And really rolling up our sleeves and getting the uh, the skinny on what's happening with this weather manipulation and all of the other ramifications of this chemtrailing experiment that's taking place in our skies even as we speak. So, Peter Kirby, it's great to have you on the program tonight. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start by talking just a little bit about yourself and how you got into this. As I understand, you've been doing this for, for a couple of years now, but uh, you also have a, a book for sale, uh, Chemtrails Exposed. Let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing. Right. That's my ebook. It's available exclusively at Amazon.com, and it's an evolving work uh, with each paper that I write on the different aspects of this topic I uh, add to the book. So it's uh, it's about seven or eight chapters right now. All these papers have been published on alternative media outlets. And, uh, yeah, right now I'm working on a, a chapter uh, about who is doing it. You know, this is, this is the big kahuna, actually. You kind of went for the throat with that question right there. Uh, you know, because Michael Murphy has also announced that his next movie will be uh, about who is doing it. Uh, I believe he is, you know, on the cutting edge of, of this type of research. I mean, that's that's what I wondered when I first started getting into this. It's like, wow, you just see a plane flying over, and it's obviously emitting something, and that's all you have to go by pretty much. And uh, even when you would go on the Internet and uh, look at, at some things, the, the there's, there's really just tons of disinformation out there about this. It's as bad as the UFO thing, you know, it... Uh, they, they've really they've really pulled out all the stops on the the PR campaign on this one. Unfortunately, so and it's so easy to clutter up these uh, the, the airwaves with disinformation and misinformation. So that is a favorite tactic of of, of theirs in in trying to throw people off the trail. For those out there who don't know Michael Murphy, of course, the filmmaker behind What in the World Are They Spraying and Why in the World Are They Spraying, and a previous guest on CorbettReport.com. So I hope you'll check into the archives for that. But uh, but Peter, how about yourself personally? How and when did you start coming into this information? You know, uh, how did I hear about it? Well, uh, I actually, I, I wrote about that in one of my papers. Um, I started just by, you know, really the whole 9-11 thing is what got me into it. Uh, you know, I when I realized that, that, that something was wrong about 9-11, I realized it was an inside job, basically. And uh, I st- so I said, wow, there must be a whole world of information out there that, that I am not aware of, you know, because I... I had just listened to the, the mainstream media before. I, I believed the official story, and uh, but you know when I when I realized it was all phony, it uh, it uh, it woke me up. You know, and uh, I think 9/11 has actually woken up a lot of people. 
And it was, uh, so I started looking at all these different things in the alternative media. And the first time I heard about this chemtrail thing, I, I thought it was a bunch of nonsense. You know, I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. Why, why would they, you know, spray everything and everybody because everything and everybody is interconnected and, you know, their families are going to get sprayed and their, their properties and their land and, you know, everybody's everything is, is being destroyed and killed. You know, that didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, but, as I looked into it further, I, uh, I realized that there was only one conclusion, you know, as, as to what this was, and that is uh, that there was something desperately wrong with, with these planes flying over, spraying us. You know, you can observe it for yourself. Uh, Unfortunately so, yes, on a daily basis, depending where you are. We're going to take a short break. We're up against our first break. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. Once again, we are talking to Peter Kirby, an author and researcher uh, who has written a book called Chemtrails Exposed, available through Amazon.com. He's also contributed to numerous websites, including Activist Post, and we're going to be talking about uh, at least one particular article that I certainly caught my attention that was posted to Activist Post on August 2nd of this year, Geoengineering for Financial Gain, a History of Weather Derivatives, a very fascinating study lots of very useful information in there so if people want to play along at home they can type that into your favorite uh, search engine hopefully not google and uh, and find that uh, that article on activist post and uh, absolutely there's a lot of information there and in some of the other articles that he's written peter uh, just to be sure you haven't uh, you don't have your own website at this time i do not i i did at one time it was actually for something else but uh that was PeterAKirby.com. Maybe I'll resurrect it at some point. Right now, I'm just farming the work out to Amazon. And they're they're my representative. They're my calling card. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, I I would suggest you do get your uh, your own website out there because the world needs more information in this world of misinformation and disinformation. But uh, let's start talking about some of the research that you've done into to chemtrails. And uh, and let's start with just the basic explanation for people out there who are still new to this, who don't know the details. Let's explain it to them like they're seven-year-olds and, and uh, have never exer- observed this phenomenon. What is happening and uh, and what really is uh, is behind this? The, the motivation for planes flying over and leaving these lines that go from horizon to horizon is usually weather modification. This is the second generation of weather modification. The, the, first, the first one was basically you, you fly a plane over a cloud and you dump stuff into it either to dry it up or make it rain. Now this second uh, generation known as geoengineering commonly it employs a space and ground-based support the ground-based support is HARP or, or technology like it, ionospheric heaters. And the space-based technology are the weather satellites that observe everything. And uh, these, uh, the, the, the stuff coming out of the plane that's emitted from the planes and the, uh, the ground-based support and the space-based support all work together uh, over international lines on a global basis uh, to, in order to modify the weather. 
Now, let's let's talk about this concept of geoengineering, because, again, some people out there might not be aware that this is something that's being openly talked about. There are conferences going on about the, the need for this type of modification. What What is this science based on, and, and who are some of the people behind it? Okay. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, you can, you can trace it back to uh, Edward Teller, apparently. You know, actually... I need to read some of their their early stuff. I have a biography of him on the way. I, I you know, the, the subject is so huge that it's like uh, every aspect of it is is like a whole another range of mountains, you know, or, you know, or and a whole another mountain, and the whole thing is like a big range of mountains. And I mean, you know, it's like you, it's something that most people have never really heard too much about. But when when you get into it, it's it's just vast oceans of. Uh, of science has been uh, committed to, uh, and national resources have been committed to this this weather modification. Uh, I think the uh, National Science Foundation has been instrumental in in all of this. Um, it looks like uh, Los Alamos uh, National Laboratory and uh, was it on Livermore uh, National Laboratory? It looks like those two have been instrumental in all of this. Uh, Edward Teller was at Stanford. Uh, Stanford also has produced uh, Ken Caldera, who is another uh, famous geoengineer. Uh, there's uh, if, if you if you just uh, basically mention any of of the nation's most prominent universities or applicable scientific organizations, they've they've done work in this area. It's uh, it's like they call like the geoengineers call it. It's uh, really a, a new Manhattan project. Well, California seems to have been uh, on the map uh, uh, f- for a long time in terms of the research into this, and you have uh, people like Barbara Peter- Peterson and others that are uh, specifically working in that area. Tell us about your own experience in your area of the, the chemtrailing. Well. Uh you know, uh, this summer we haven't had too much in the way of chemtrails, uh, and that was the same with last summer, uh, just sort of sporadic events. Uh, a lot of people say that they're spraying offshore. Uh, a lot of uh, the people that I, I really, you know, listen to and value their opinion, um, this is one of the, the aspects that I need to look further into, but it does look like there is some evidence for this. Um, they last winter they they really let us have it with uh, chemtrails. I mean, it was amazing, and uh, I guess their timing couldn't have been better because it, it, all this they they really let us have it with the trails right after a, a cover story in a local uh, giveaway newspaper was talking about it. Uh, there was a hit piece on me actually, and uh, they, they had a, it was a it's the Pacific Sun. They had a have a circulation of eighty five thousand. And it was like uh, right after, as soon as that article came out and, and for a couple months afterward, we just got socked in with these things. I mean, people around here must have been just chomping at the bit because, uh, I mean, you know, once you're just provided with that idea and then you realize that it's going on, I mean, you, you know, all it really takes is somebody to say, hey, they're, you know, those lines in the sky, they're, they're spraying stuff out of planes. And it's the lines in the sky are like something that you just sort of subconsciously recognize over the years i realized you know looking back some years that i I subconsciously knew they were there but when someone came out and and told me hey watch out they're spraying they're spraying us then then you look up in the sky and you see these lines and you're like wow uh, this is actually going on you know and that's exactly how it happened for me it was a 
you know, once I knew that was happening, it was like, okay, this is beyond my control. You know, I've, I've seen corruption throughout my life and known that the government's screwing us seven ways to Sunday, but I had never been confronted with a situation that was so in my face and unavoidable. And, uh, you know, I knew they were violating my body. And I, I just, I, that was where I drew the line, you know. I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm done with this. I, I'm not... I'm not participating in, in, in what I consider the establishment uh, program anymore, you know, because, I mean, if you're just going to come over and, and just do this, well, then I'm going to fight you till the end, you know what I mean? Absolutely, and uh, it is one of those things that uh, that's kind of right there in front of people's face, and it's uh, whether or not they, they choose to look up into the sky and see what they're seeing. Will they trust their lying eyes or what people are telling them to think about this? There is kind of that incredulity that a lot of people have about this type of information, because some people just can't get get past that mental barrier that the government could do something like this, or that there would be people who would be interested in, in weather modification on this scale without putting, you know, putting everything in black and white for people in the New York Times or what have you. Um, yeah. What what can you say about the, the that type of mental barrier and, and the resistance that you're, or not, that you've encountered to your work? Well, yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've encountered uh, the, the whole gambit. Uh, you know, as, as Goebbels said, the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. You know, it's just like 9-11, you know, it's just so, it's so huge, it's it's such a, it's so unacceptable, it, it challenges people's worldview so drastically that they, they just don't want to go there, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's sad that we've been worked into this type of situation, you know, I think there have been times in American history where people have been uh, much more politically active, and it was normal to to question the establishment and everything. But now we got these dumbed down masses who, who just, uh, you know, drop to their knees and worship the government every every at every opportunity. And uh, you know, uh, it's it's just a, a matter of it's it's like going through your life with an open mind or a closed mind. You know, uh, I think people who who just want to close their mind off to it. I mean, what what is their social worth? You know, what is their social value I, I i can't live like that you know i i have to fight for what i know is right that's what f- fulfills me you know well i think that's a message that will resonate with a lot of the listeners to this program so let's let's start talking about some of the the information that you've uncovered about these programs and some of the people behind them and let's just start by introducing people to something called enron weather which you bring up in your article about geoengineering for financial gain through derivatives what was enron weather and how and when was it set up yes enron weather was a division of enron uh, I'd have to reference my paper for the exact date, but it was uh, it existed for about the last five years of the uh, the Enron fiasco, which ended in around 2001. And Enron Weather was the particular division within within Enron that was known to buy and sell weather derivatives. Uh, not only uh, was Enron a player in the weather derivatives market, they originated. The weather derivatives market. It, it came out of Enron. It was one of their little, uh, you know, uh, experiments that uh, that uh, was, uh, you know, came out. And uh, it, it, at first, it didn't make make much money for them. Uh, it was a experiment, as you know, all experimental businesses are. They often need, uh, you know, capital and, and stuff like that to to get off the ground and take on money at first. But then, by the time uh, of Enron's collapse, they were they were making money by Enron weather. 
it was a money-making department. So people try to downplay the importance of uh, Enron, whether they say, oh, well, it was a tiny part and it only lost money. No, actually, by, by the time Enron went under, it was a significant part of Enron. And just for people at home who might not be familiar with the derivatives market or how it works, I mean, these are, are bets, basically, that people are, are placing on, on different events taking place. Usually they're tied to the value of a commodity or, or a stock or something going up or down. But in this case, literally weather events so that you could uh, hedge against a, a, a bad weather for, for a farmer, for example, or something along those lines. So literally people placing bets on the weather. And if you're starting to get the sense of how that could play into a weather modification, agenda well welcome to reality it's uh, it's not a pretty picture but it's one that we have to start breaking down so we're going to take another short break but when we come back we'll continue talking to peter kirby about his research into weather modification and weather derivatives so we'll be back with more right after this All right, welcome back to the program, friends. Once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and we're talking to author and researcher Peter A. Kirby about his work on weather derivatives, weather modification, and chemtrailing, and how all of this ties together. Just before the break there, we were talking a little bit from his article, Geoengineering for Financial Gain, A History of Weather Derivatives, and we were talking about how Enron weather came about in the late 1990s, to uh, really become a significant part of the Enron uh, fiasco, the the scandal that we now know uh, it was. But at the time, people were believing in it, and they were setting up these weather derivatives, this entire weather derivatives market, so that people could hedge against weather events or make money on weather events if they could predict the weather far enough in advance. But no one can do that, right? Well, the weather modification agenda takes on an entirely new twist when we start to take a look at those aspects of that. So, so Peter, let's uh, let's continue to pick up this story and talk a little bit more about uh, Enron weather and and really what became of it. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, they uh, went on doing their. I think they were also not only active in the weather derivatives market. It looks like they were also active in the catastrophe reinsurance market. Which is which is the other market where you can make a lot of money off of things that happen in the weather. It's actually that market is actually a lot bigger than the than the weather derivatives market, but it, it's not as sensational. It's, it's it's kind of boring. It's like they have this place where they go and in New York called the Cadex where they negotiate these things. I mean, I suppose they negotiate them in, uh, at other places too. Anyway, they, these big banks they come up with. Uh, Bonds and, and it, they, they may be actually only one or two bonds, a certificate like you know uh, actual bonds, and it'll just be like a uh, let's say a few million dollar bond or a thirty million dollar bond or a hundred million dollar bond, and then they they chop it up into they securitize it and they uh, chop it up into all these little pieces and then sell it to the public. Uh, that that market, the catastrophe reinsurance market, is is murky. I. You know, I actually bought a test book, a textbook about it. It cost seventy-five bucks, and it was you know one of the few good sources of information that I found on it. But it's 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 hard to to grasp that that whole scene. But it, it you can just by uh, web searches and things you can see that it's it's much bigger. I think it's uh, two or three times the size of the weather derivatives market, at least. And um, so I think Enron Weather was also involved in in that. And uh, they, uh, well, when they went under, they uh, 
eventually were they were part of the Enron trading desk, and uh, you know the, the trading desk somehow just had just fabulous successes all the time. I mean, you know, oddly enough, if if you look at at a lot of financial businesses, you'll see that uh, that usually a lot of uh, risk and a lot of investor doubt is uh, attached to trading operations but somehow Enron's trading operation only made money you know and uh, somehow they always knew how to how to uh, how to make money and they were known as as part of the uh, they were considered probably one of the most or the most stable part of their operation uh, you know while everyone else uh, is it's a very risky venture for anyone else and uh, anyway, uh, their trading desk, uh, when Enron went under, was a, a valuable commodity because they had a lot of uh, proprietary technology, including the uh, original uh, formats of uh, the trading platforms for the weather derivatives market. And uh, when Enron went under in 2001, the trading desk was eventually acquired by UBS Warburg. Uh, Warburg, where have I heard that name before? Um, exactly right. Well, let, for those people out there who don't remember or don't know about the Enron story and its political connections that, that made it into such a uh, formidable uh, beast, really, there on, the, on all sorts of derivatives markets and in the energy market, etc., let's talk a little bit about their connections to the Bush crime syndicate and uh, the uh, various other aspects of the Carlyle Group and some of these other players. Yeah, yeah, they're you know the uh, the Bush family. They try to downplay their uh, their connections to Enron, but as far as I could tell, and uh, all the the evidence shows that that they were in bed tent with Enron uh, as as much as anybody could be. And uh, it, you know, there's so many conflicts of interest and and such an amazing re- revolving door between government and uh, the Enron Corporation. It's uh, you know. Uh, it's it, as you can see in the paper when they had uh, who was it? It wasn't only uh, you know uh, uh, Bush uh, Senior and 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 W. Uh, uh, basically, uh, what what they did for Enron, what what Bush Senior and and uh, Junior did for Enron was a little something called deregulation. And uh, basically, what they did was create a situation they, they, I guess they you know deregulation. They took away regulations, but it was more like just setting up. The, the whole energy industry for Enron to have little back doors so they can arbitrage trades and just make money on I, I guess that's how their mon- trading desk made money all the time because they had the you know political insiders who set up the the game for them so that they could just make all these arbitrage trades you know, you know your, your listeners probably know what arbitrage is and uh, yeah, and uh, it wasn't only it wasn't only uh, big daddy Bush and uh, and and junior taking care of them on the deregulation front. Uh, Jeb Bush, you know, our, our wonderful leader down there in Florida, he, he was uh, he was getting some, too, with his, uh, what was the, the repiping the swamp uh, down there, uh, you know, just the useless projects that do nothing but uh, just put big checks on his, uh, on his dinner table. Unfortunately so, absolutely right. Well, again, there's a lot to be said on that. I hope people will check out The Smartest Guys in the Room, the documentary, where they expose some of the ways that uh, Enron was uh, manipulating those markets. But we'll be back after this. Welcome back. 
back to Corbett Report Radio, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned into Republic Broadcasting, and this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to author and researcher Peter A. Kirby about his research into chemtrails, weather manipulation, weather modification, weather derivatives, and all of the other aspects of this chemtrail geoengineering agenda. So, uh, Peter, let's let's talk uh, a little bit more about this this weather modification and how it can be used for, for other purposes. We have been talking about the financial gain that can be made when people know what weather events are coming or can at least engineer those events into happening through catastrophe reinsurance, through uh, weather derivatives, those types of um, the, uh, options and, and uh, derivatives and markets. But let's talk about some of the other ways that this can be used. And I think the one that naturally presents itself right away to most people is the idea of warfare. And uh, certainly there's no better way to, to wage war on an enemy than to deprive them of rain, for, exa- for example. And uh, recently it's even been talked about on Yahoo News and you know, mainstream, so, quote-unquote, publications, the, the idea that uh, Iran is having its rain clouds stopped by uh, forces unknown, and uh, and certainly that type of idea is is one that's that's quite scary because it does re- really represent the uh, the 21st century state of warfare. Let's talk a little bit about this concept of weather warfare and what uh, research we might have to back this up. Yes, yes, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm not an expert on war or the history of war, but I've I've heard of instances, you know, going back to you know, thousands of years ago. Well, you know, you could you could look at natural phenomenon. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the. Um, there was something. Uh, I'm, I'm not completely familiar with this incident, but there was something back in the history of Japan where some big typhoon happened, and the the invaders from China were not able to to reach Japan, and they were defeated. I mean, uh, there's lots of you know natural occurrences going back thousands of years, uh, but. Uh, the military has been very interested in modifying the weather, as far as I can tell, since uh, about 1960, 1965. I found this document that looks like it's from about 1985, 1986. It's actually undated, but the, the latest dates I could find in it was 85. So I'm thinking 86, 87, actually. And uh, it's called, oddly enough, it looks like the Department of Defense did kind of an internal audit and uh, they, they produced this case study, and it's called Weather Modification, the Evolution of an R&D Program into a Military Operation. And it basically tells the whole story of uh, today's uh, weather, uh, weather control programs. And uh, I have it right here, and I'd like to, to read some, uh, some portions for, from it, if you don't mind. Uh, go ahead. I'm absolutely riveted to hear about it. Okay, I've, I've made a few notes here. Let me scroll down and find the first one. Okay, this now I've found that this guy in particular, this guy Admiral William F. Raborn, uh, was very instrumental in, in the early uh, weather modification programs that eventually became today's second-generation weather modification programs because... He, uh, in this one quote here, you'll, you'll see he talks about uh, influencing the ionosphere. This is the, the earliest reference that, that I've seen of this. And uh, not only was uh, this guy, William F. Raborn, uh, uh, writing about influencing the ionosphere, he was also on the board, uh, board of directors of this company that uh, 
this company called uh, LTV Electro Systems, Ling Temco Vought. Ling Temco Vought was a big uh, defense contractor uh, back in the like 1950s, 1960s, and they had a, vi- a division called LTV Electro Systems, which eventually became E-Systems, which eventually built HARP. So he was on the board of directors of this company that eventually built HARP. And uh, here it is. Here he's uh, quoted in this um, this paper here, this paper called Weather Modification, the Evolution of an R&D Program into a Military Operation. It says, in 1963, Admiral William F. Raborn, previously responsible for the Polaris SLBM development, group, excuse me, development program and then Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Development, included the following description in an article titled, quote, New Horizons of Naval Research and Development. And he says, he writes, The possibilities for the military employment of the, quote, weather weapon may be as diverse as they are numerous. Now, that, that when I hear that, I think of HARP and all the different functions that HARP can perform. Okay, and he continues, An ability to control the weather could introduce greater changes in warfare than those which occurred in 1945 with the explosion of the first nuclear weapons. He goes on later to write, By influencing the ionosphere and atmosphere simultaneously, magnetic, acoustic, and pressure effects might be generated in such a way that ocean-wide sweeping of mines would occur. In other words, he's saying you could stir up the ocean enough so that you could just make mines in the ocean go off through, you know, creating a big storm with, you know, influencing the ionosphere. Let's see what else we got here. And just just to back up what that's talking about, for people who don't know, HARP is an ionosphere heater. It generates uh, heat in the the ionosphere itself, and uh, and the manipulation of the atmosphere, of course, is the laying of the chemtrails themselves, which has been speculated to to be part of a HARP system to allow HARP to influence further out uh, than it normally would be able to, and that's exactly what he's referring to. There are ionospheric and atmospheric changes. Right, right, absolutely. Let's see, I got some more stuff here. They go on about how uh, we have to develop this technology because, you know, if we don't, the Russians will. There's a Big Russian threat, you know, apparently that was a big uh, way to propel these uh, these programs through the uh, the old Russian propaganda. And uh, this is this document started me really looking hard at the National Science Foundation because they mentioned it many times and and many times I actually just refer to it as the foundation. And uh, they act as they write in this report they write that uh, the, the, basically the program is, is largely directed by the National Science Foundation. And then it uh, goes on to say here, we're getting into the history of um, uh, weather warfare you know, used by the United States. It says here, it was the United States, excuse me, that was the first nation to use weather modification as a weapon in war. This took place in an extensive program in the Indochina theater from 1967 to 1972. This is quite well known. We're talking about the uh, Operation Popeye, and it uh, goes under some other names. Uh, those those documents, uh, there's a, a document that was uh, declassified. It's available on the Internet. I don't know the name of it, but uh, it, it talked all about these uh, operations in, uh, in Southeast Asia. It continues here. It was able to continue for five years over the territory of several different nations, Laos, Cambodia, North and South Vietnam, 
and with this knowledge of its, its existence available to some 1,400 persons before its di- disclosure. See, so they're talking about the relative secrecy of these programs. And it, th- this, re- this case study is actually quite critical of the Department of Defense and, uh, and how they go about uh, developing these programs, uh, as we'll see down here. Uh, they say, hold on, let me get this quote here. Uh, sorry. No problem. There's a lot of information there. Yeah, I'm, I'm having to, to scroll down here. I made a little... No, okay, here we go. All of these programs, the technological ones and the tactical ones, shared one thing in common, either total secrecy or secrecy as long as was manageable. Now, does that sound like what's going on today? It Oddly enough, yes, it does. And this is exactly the type of point that I was addressing in a recent podcast episode talking about secret weapons technology, where we are expected to believe that uh, the SR-71 or whatever they unveiled 20 years ago is really the epitome, the height of the technology. And now, nowadays, to think that there's anything going on behind the scenes that we don't know about is just craziness. But, <laughs> uh, but of course, we can see through that. But unfortunately, it's a question of how do you get to what is really going on behind that curtain that they have erected. And it is definitely picking through a minefield of misinformation and disinformation. So documents like this one are extremely valuable. Can you give us the title of that document again? Right. It's called Weather Modification, the Evolution of an R&D Program into a Military Operation. Yeah, it doesn't get much more explicit than that, does it? Right. A little little further down, this is where they they start getting really critical about about how the Department of Defense handled these operations. Uh, Here it says, Anyone familiar with the development of chemical and biological weaponry and argumentation in its favor will instantly recognize the precisely similar general arguments here. These are the arguments of the Department of Defense as to why these programs should remain secret and, uh, you know, and how they go about, how they go about uh, providing cover for these operations. It says here, uh, this, this is what the Department of Defense does. This report is being critical. They say, implicit or explicit labeling of arguments in opposition to weapon, devel- weapon development and use as emotional. It, uh, that's a little confusing. <laughs> but they, say, they go on to say, its own recommendation put forward as scientific. So this is like the, their modus operandi surrounding these, these, these projects. The claim that use is innocuous. I mean, I think that's what's coming next. When, when the government finally admits it, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we, we're spraying you, but, you know, don't worry about it. It's no big deal, just like they did with DU. And then, and then it goes on. An extremely narrow framework ruling possible further developments, more serious or more widespread use out of consideration as speculative, though one knows this to be the historical process with every newly introduced weapons system. The uh, the claim oh, see here the pretense that this weapon category would be a quote replacement for other weapons rather than an increment to them see this this is what the, one of their arguments is oh well we'll we'll just hit them with the weather control no we won't hit them with all you know everything at the same time uh, rather than an increment to them used together with all the existing wants to increase their total lethality. 
And then the last one is the most scathing. The blind eye turned to the historical experience that the most innocuous weapon use or uses for ostensibly special circumscribed situations are often purposefully presented to win approval for the entry of a new weapon system into the armory. So, I mean, you know, that there's the Army, there's the Department of Defense itself, you know, with its own in, little internal audit saying, uh, you know, this is, you, you know, you guys are handling this all, all the wrong way. You're, you're, you're keeping it secret. You're, you know, doing a bait and switch. You're, you're just, uh, you know, trying to develop your, your little weapons because, you, you know, you get off on your little mad science projects and stuff. I mean, that's not even me saying it. That's our own military saying it, you know. I mean, uh, this is a, a pattern of, of behavior by the establishment that uh, it can be applied to what's going on today. Absolutely, it can. And what what do you think about that? What they're saying there, because obviously it is true. If they just uh, if they just admit to it and just say, "Oh, it's no big deal," most people will go along with that, don't you think? That's well, you know, that's the lemming mentality, and that's not what America is about. You know, that's that's collectivism. That's uh, not individualism. I believe in individualism. You know, I, I don't think there, there's a future for humanity and in, in just listening to and just taking for granted what this establishment says to us. I mean, these are the same people who crucified Christ, right? Am I wrong? I mean, do we have different people in power now? Is, was there somehow, you know, some kind of revolution in the power structure? I don't buy it. I mean, it's the same families that have been oppressing humanity for hundreds and thousands of years. You know, you can trace the lineage all back. And so, I mean, these these are the the same people. And, uh, you you know, you got to expect that they're going to behave in the the same manner when when put in a similar situation. You know, it's it's what I, today what I have, what we call, we have what I call a candy-coated tyranny. It's, uh, you know, it's, everything's pre- presented as, as so good and wonderful. And, oh, let's, oh, the, the royal family, they got married. Well, let, let's go out and, you know, cheer them on because, I don't know, they, they kind of look good. And, you know, he's got a nice suit on and her hair looks nice. And, yeah. uh, oh, look at the golden carriage. Oh, wonderful. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't buy it. You know, I mean, and I wouldn't recommend anyone else out there too. I think a lot of people can see through this, but it's the people who can't that it's kind of head scratching at this point. Why wouldn't they be able to? But uh, but l- let's uh, let's bring this into perspective for people. So, where do you think we are in terms of the implementation of this agenda? Do you think it's still in a in a more research and, and development phase, or do you think it's in its full implementation? Where where and how do you think they're going to be using this to its fullest advantage? I think it's in full implementation, and they're they're trying to privatize the whole thing uh, through this idea of geoengineering. The, the they just you know they just went ahead and did it. They've been doing it since uh, early excuse me mid 90s. So that's uh, you know coming up on uh, 20 years now. They've just they, this, you know this is this is and anyone who's paying attention can see. The, the way the government goes about doing anything, they, for, they just go ahead and do it. They just go ahead and do it, and then they leave, they leave, uh, leave it to everyone else to pick up the pieces. And that's, you know, um, you know I'm not re- really happy that, that I have to go and, and pick up the pieces, but I feel as though it's my civic duty. 
and that of everyone listening as well, certainly, um, if we don't take it upon ourselves to start exposing this information, who will? And I think you're, you're right to point out that, uh, unfortunately, the governments just like to act and, and let people pick up the pieces in their wake, and that was expressed probably most boldly by uh, Karl Rove at a press uh, correspondence dinner where he declared that we make reality and you just report on it. So uh, it is the sickness of the so-called would-be elites who like to believe that they control reality, that they just implement an agenda and let people kind of, you know, find their way through it. Uh, It leaves us in a very difficult position. I mean, what do you think it is that people out there can be doing against this agenda? Well, you know, uh, actually in the city of San Francisco, I've been seeing... uh, Someone's going around with a piece of chalk in their hand, and they just uh, right on the on the sidewalk. They, this guy, person, or maybe it's more than one person, is uh, quite prolific. They just right on the sidewalk, look up, you are being sprayed. You know, I mean, if that doesn't grab your attention, I, I don't know if anything will. Absolutely. Well, direct action like that. But, of course, we've seen recently that they've tried to prosecute people for, for writing on the sidewalk 9-11 truth messages in chalk, etc. So, uh, unfortunately, they're cracking down in every possible way, and it's getting more and more blatant. All right. Well, time flies. We are coming up against our final break here, so we're going to take a short breather, and we'll be back to wrap things up. Once again, talking to Peter Kirby about the weather modification agenda, how it's being implemented, how it affects you, and how we can strike back against it. So stay tuned right there. We'll be back after these messages. Turn it up! I want my bail out money. Keep the bills coming. Sweet green cash just driven like honey. All right, friends, welcome back. We are in the final moments of tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Peter A. Kirby, the author of Chemtrails Exposed, which again is available through Amazon.com as an ebook, an ebook in progress uh, and continues to be added too. So you can check that out at Amazon. Peter, uh, I've been peppering you with questions all night. Any other facts, details, names, dates, or figures you'd like to throw out for the audience there? Okay, uh, yeah, uh, as far as the, the military's uh, involvement in the weather, uh, weather modification stuff, uh, there's a couple of other, other uh, documents that I think are, are quite uh, applicable. Of course, owning the weather 2025, uh, the weather, uh, it was a, uh, I can't even talk now, a report uh, issued by the Department of Defense and the Air Force, and uh, that, that, that is the seminal document because it outlines the whole program. It, it talks about how, uh, you know, using the ground and space-based support. This is, it's, it's, it's a document that outlines this second generation of weather modification programs. That's why it's so important. There hasn't been any other government document that has been so explicit as to how these programs work. Uh, that's uh, one to look at. And then, uh, you know, there's a, another a book called uh, Unless Peace Comes. It was edited by this guy, Nigel Calder, and in it, uh, this guy named uh, Gordon J.F. McDonald, who was uh, a big muckety-muck in the, um, uh, the president's, uh, he was like a science advisor to the president and, you know, head of the some scientific department uh, elsewhere and this and that. He wrote a little uh, article called uh, How to Wreck the Environment. And uh, in it, he's he's basically full of bravado, and he's just basically saying, like, yeah, well, you know, we're just going to come in, we're going to do this, and uh, that's the way it is. You don't like it, tough. 
and uh, he, he uh, you know, talks about all these different schemes of uh, basically geoengineering type things. Uh, those, I, I would say, are probably the three most important as far as the military uh, military programs go. And then that last thing I wanted to talk about was the other topic we were talking about earlier, uh, Enron. Uh, there was a guy at Enron named Richard Kinder. And uh, you, you may have heard of him because he, right before Enron collapsed, he, he had the, the presence of mind to uh, to get out. And he was he was the guy there. He was really running things on a day-to-day basis. He was one of the people that would necessarily have to know it, uh, about any scams involved with the, with the weather derivatives. If they were you know receiving inside information or anything like that, he wouldn't known about it. Uh, him, Ken Lay, and you know. Uh, you know, a handful of other guys. But this guy, Richard Kinder, is quite interesting because he got out unscathed before Enron went down, you know, and he was able to go on. And he, he went and formed his own company called uh, Kinder Morgan, a uh, gas pipeline company. And they actually, he left with, with their most uh, valuable asset, which was uh, actual gas pipelines. They actually owned assets at one point. <laughs> but uh, Richard, when Richard Kinder left, he took those with him. Yeah, magically somehow he was able to get out of there with their most valuable assets, and and he went and formed his company Kinder Morgan. Now, am I wrong, or was Kinder Morgan bought by Berkshire Hathaway? Do they own a stake? I seem to recall hearing this story a couple of years ago. Now I can't find it, but I see because I follow stocks and stuff, and I seem to recall it was a few years ago Berkshire Hathaway. I thought they acquired a, a majority stake in it or something, and I just can't find that information. I have to like I guess I have to pour over the. Uh, Annual, annual reports and things, but Richard Kinder looks very interesting in this whole thing. Absolutely. Well, uh, another fascinating trail for, for people to follow, so I hope they will follow your work and your articles once again at Activist Post and other alternative websites out there. Peter A. Kirby, unfortunately we're completely out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you for your time tonight. I do appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right, excellent. Well, to everyone out there, thank you for listening. I'll be with you tomorrow night. Take care.